Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Pope Francis formally apologized a year ago to indigenous people in Canada for the Catholic Church's role in running residential schools. The response from First Nations leaders, residential school survivors, and others runs from praise to criticism. We'll get different perspectives on the papal apology today and what its effect has been a year later. We're back after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A first-of-its-kind report on missing Indigenous persons in Alaska has been released. The State Department of Public Safety and the Anchorage Police Department collaborated to collect the data. It maps out hundreds of cases that go back to 1960. There have been other lists of missing people, but KMBA's Rhonda McBride looks at what makes this one different. The database has an important new feature. It categorizes the circumstances surrounding the disappearances, identifying those which are suspicious. Public Safety Commissioner James Cockrell hopes this will be helpful. And that's something I always thought we should have had with the missing persons clearinghouses, the circumstances of that person's, why is that person missing? And now we've taken that step. The work, which is an outgrowth of Governor Dunleavy's People First initiative, will be updated every quarter and can be found online. I want you to know how heartfelt I am on this this issue. And as long as I'm the commissioner, we're going to continue our focus on it and continue to listen and hopefully provide information that will help us in the future. In the last quarter, from April to June, Alaska Natives and American Indians made up about 45% of the total number of people who disappeared in Alaska. During that period, 200 Indigenous people were reported missing. Most were found, except for 25. As director of the group Data for Indigenous Justice, Charlene Ochpuk welcomes the new report and says it's what advocates for missing Indigenous people have been asking for for years. She worked on earlier attempts to track their numbers. Sadly, I think what this really illustrates is a systemic issue of violence that's being perpetrated in our community in the state of Alaska. And that should raise flags and alarms and really start igniting justice. Hoppo hopes the database will continue to improve and provide more information about those missing, including their hometowns and Native cultural identities. Apuk says it's important that these numbers become more than just points of data. We know that these are very real loved ones missing from families who are missed and loved and mourned and grieved. The Alaska Missing Indigenous Persons Report is not a complete accounting of those missing. It only includes numbers from the state troopers and the Anchorage Police Department. The Department of Public Safety hopes to include cases from other police departments in future reports. In Anchorage, 
I'm Rhonda McBride. A Native youth group spent a week in Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks reconnecting with their roots. Wyoming Public Radio's Hannah Haberman reports. Thirteen Native youth from the Wind River Reservation and the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota explored the area alongside five traditional elders and teachers from the Lakota, Dakota, Northern Arapaho, Eastern Shoshone, and Blackfeet Nations. Lynette Graybull is the leader of the youth group called Indigenous Youth Voices. It's the first time the group has hosted this kind of event. She says that sharing knowledge between generations is invaluable. Not only do we share our language and speak our language, we also share things that they probably haven't learned and won't be able to learn in school. Some of our traditional and oral knowledge and historical knowledge, as many people know, is not told in the right way. The group spent the week kayaking, whitewater rafting, and traditional storytelling. I'm Hannah Haberman. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. A year has passed since Pope Francis visited Canada's indigenous communities to apologize for past abuses and attempts at assimilation at residential schools run by the Catholic Church. The apology received a mixed response from residential school survivors and families from First Nations, Inuit, and Métis communities. It drew consolation for some and criticism from others for not backing the apology up with action. Today, we'll hear from leaders and survivors of these schools and get insights into the weight and significance of the papal apology. What do you think of the Pope's apology tour? Was it an earnest attempt and first step toward righting past wrongs, or was it just a PR move, offering too little, too late? Share your thoughts by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And a reminder, you can also participate in today's dialogue by commenting on our social media pages like Facebook and Instagram. Let's go ahead and meet our guest today. Joining us from Masquachis, Alberta, is Chief Wilton Littlechild. He is the International Chief of Treaty 6, 7, and 8 and former Commissioner of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada. He is Cree. Greetings, Chief Littlechild. Welcome to our show. Thank you very much. And uh, <clears throat> let me begin by saying, Tansen Totentik. Uh, thank you very much, and greetings in my language to all your listeners. Thank you for that welcome, Chief Little Child. In Ottawa, Ontario, we have Peter Ernick. 
He is an elder, residential school survivor, and an Inuit cultural leader. He is Anuk. Peta, welcome to you too. I would like to say to uh, Canadian government as well as uh, Roma Catholic Church, uh, look, I still speak my Inuit language really well. <laughs> you speak it really well, Peter. Beautiful, beautiful introduction. Andrew Carrier is the Red River Government Minister for Residential and Day Schools. He is Métis. Hi, Andrew. Welcome back to NAC. You've been here before. Yes, I have, and uh, good morning to everyone. A grand merci pour tout le monde. Uh, unfortunately, I lost my Mitchell language. Uh, we uh, certainly were forced, like our uh, relatives, uh, uh, First Nations relatives, to assimilate uh, through colonialism. And uh, I'm a, personally, I'm a survivor of, uh, of a day school uh, sexual abuse by a priest. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for, thank you for sharing, Andrew. And in Lethbridge, Alberta, we have Dr. Tiffany Preet, an assistant professor of sociology at the University of Lethbridge. She is Kainai. Hello, Tiffany. Thank you for joining us. Okay. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. And I, too, uh, have also had my language stolen for me, so I, I don't speak my Blackfoot language, but I, I hope to be able to do that one day. Thank you. All right. All right. Appreciate all of you joining us here on the show today. And Chief Little Child, I'd like to begin with you, and let's reflect back. It's been more than a year since the Pope traveled to Indigenous communities in Canada. Could you tell us, please, what did his apology mean to you then, last summer 2022? And what does the apology mean to you now, today, here in September, more than a year later? Well, thank you. Uh, it's a very important question, and I'll get right to your question. Allow me to uh, respond from two different perspectives. First, it was a very important personal opportunity to forgive for what happened to me as a child and to continue my healing journey. I was in three different residential schools for 14 years. Then I served for six and a half years as a commissioner on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada, listening to some, some over 7,000 witnesses tell us about their traumatic abuses as children. And this led to some compassion fatigue um, for me personally. But secondly, as a former TRC commissioner, it was also important and gratifying to be able to complete a call to action from the uh, former students, uh, survivors, in their call for the Pope to come to Canada to give his apology in our country. So from those two perspectives, I think it was uh, uh, very important from personal and in a, a global, uh, national, I should say, perspective. And here we are a year later. How do you feel? Do you think, uh, are you happy so far with not only the apology, but also perhaps the progress that has been made uh, going towards healing? Or, or do you think uh, there's just still a lot more to do, a lot more to be done, and, and maybe uh, a little too little, a little too late? What's your thought? Well, I think um, I, I might differ 
from some perspectives in that I was directly involved as a commissioner and then accompanied the um, His Holiness Pope Francis throughout the uh, throughout the um, uh, visit or pilgrimage that he held in Canada, the personal pilgrimage asking for pardon. So I know one aspect of my uh, participation in that was uh, controversial um, in the sense of um, honoring him with a headdress. But let me get right to that, because from previous meeting uh, meetings with popes, this particular meeting in my own home territory, where uh, at one time uh, the largest Indian residential school existed, um, my uh, participation with His Holiness was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, which I'll cherish forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, never forget such a blessing. But uh, as far as the... Um, uh, controversial parts of my participation in the gifting of a headdress. During our short time to prepare as a host committee and as a gifting tradition to our visitors, we asked ourselves, what could we do? Uh, and with protocol and elders' advice, and since he had been given a name, an Anishinaabe name, at the Vatican in a traditional ceremony by our spiritual elder, it was decided to honor him likewise uh, after ceremony uh, with a headdress. So there's some mixed emotion throughout uh, the country still, but I think as far as I'm personally concerned, I'm uh, I'm very uh, honored to have been able to to host the uh, the uh, very very historic. Uh, implementation of a call to action from the survivors. Right, right. And Chief Little Child, I know there were some criticisms of the gifting of the headdress, and I, there were a lot of folks down here in the States who were like saying, oh, you know, that's not appropriate, and and that's uh, something that's just reserved for, for only tribal leaders or significant people. And what would you like to say to those folks, folks that, that aren't in your community, that don't have the direct interaction with the Pope and weren't involved with all of the, the organizing and the efforts leading up to that visit? What would you like to tell those folks uh, about why you gave the Pope that headdress and uh, let them know your thoughts? Yes. Well, first of all, thank you for the opportunity because uh, the first thing I would say is that um, tribes, nations, and indigenous peoples, we differ in our traditions. And with us, we're a gifting uh, Cree. And when we have someone that honorable in terms of the global um, stature, uh, we like to gift them with something special. And as I said, he had been given a name, an Ishnabe name at the Vatican. And um, from our tradition, what was missing was the headdress to accompany that naming ceremony. So we differ in our protocols and our traditions from tribe to tribe. So for us, it was very appropriate that we do that. And I I apologize to those that I offended by um, maybe uh, uh, in what I said and what I did. uh, It wasn't meant to be that way. It was just to follow our 
spiritual elders' advice and our our elders, uh, former residential school survivors, mm-hmm. uh, give us that indication that that's what we should do and that's what we did. And by the way, from a response generally, uh, I would say global because I had calls from outside of Canada. Uh, there's more that agreed with the decision than those that disagreed. But again, I say we differ from tribe to tribe and nation to nation in our traditions. So I took that into consideration. Chief Wilton Littlechild, uh, International Chief of Treaty 6, 7, and 8. He is on our show today on Native America Calling. And uh, we've got other guests as well. And uh, we are talking about... Pope Francis and his apology to indigenous communities for past abuses and mistreatment at Canada's residential schools. And this happened last summer, July of 2022. So here it is more than a year later, and we have time to reflect. We have time to absorb some of that information. And we're just getting some reflections. We're getting some thoughts now, looking back on on what that apology means, what it meant, and uh, where Canada's First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people are headed into the future with regard to this journey of perhaps forgiveness, perhaps healing, uh, all based on this apology and other efforts uh, by the Catholic Church. So really timely show here on Native America Calling. We have more guests on the other side of this break that we're going to talk to. We're going to get more perspectives, more thoughts, more insights. And as always, we encourage our listeners, join this conversation, 1-800-996-2848. Are you a residential school survivor or a former student of a residential school? What do you think of the way some of these students were treated at some of these schools in the U.S., in Canada, in Hawaii, even other parts of the United States where Indigenous people live. Let us know your thoughts. Give us a call, 1 800 996 2848. A Potawatomi Chef's new cookbook, Corn Dance, takes readers and cooks on a journey through Indigenous America. A Navajo father grows corn to feed his son and hundreds of other babies by way of his business, Bitty Baby, and a homage to indigenous Latin American foods in honor of Hispanic Heritage Month. That's all on the next Native America Calling. Attention all ranchers, farmers, and conservationists. You can join the Indian Nation Conservation Alliance at their three-day annual meeting in Las Vegas starting October 24th to strategize for a sustainable future. Topics include tribal farming and ranching issues, tribal forestry programs, and more, all to strengthen tribal sovereignty through conservation. The session will also be live-streamed online. More info, including registration at inca-tcd.org who support this show. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We are talking about last year's apology from Pope Francis for abuses at church-run residential schools in Canada. We're hearing perspectives from different Indigenous communities. If you have a comment or question about the Pope's apology, call us at 1-800-996-2848. You can also listen back to today's show as a podcast on all major podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Our next guest, Peter Ernick, is an elder and residential school survivor. He is an Inuit cultural leader. Peter, again, thank you for joining us. And I want to ask you, what was your initial reaction to the Pope's apology? And do you still feel the same way a year later? 
Well, <clears throat> let me um, let me kind of go back to uh, Inuit uh, history uh, about the impact of uh, residential school. I um, always uh, like to say that um, I was kidnapped in broad daylight uh, by a Roman Catholic priest right in front of my parents in August of 1958 at the age of 11 years old so that uh, I could be uh, t taken to uh, Chesterfield Inlet where the uh, residential school was uh, 200 miles south of my community. Um, for the information of those people who are listening, um, I was uh, born in the Nikolu and lived in the Nikolu for the first 11 years of my life until that very moment, until I was taken by the church and the government to go to residential school. We were not allowed to speak our language at the residential school. Um, we had a uh, lot of uh, culture. We had a lot of uh, language. We had a lot of religious uh, beliefs, such as uh, shamanism. Uh, we had a lot of parenting skills, and we were sexually uh, uh, abused by the clergy. Um, we have had a lot of work uh, to retrieve and reclaim and take uh, take back our culture uh, throughout the many years after. And we still, uh, many of us still speak our own language uh, and still practice our own culture. Um, I think one of the things that um, I would uh, like to make a point is that um, I still feel good um, about uh, Pope's uh, apology uh, when he came to the Arctic uh, Inuit Nunangat Inuit homeland on uh, July uh, uh, 29, uh, 2023. And uh, there has been um, a slow uh, response. Um, I expected a quicker uh, response uh, from the Roman Catholic Church uh, in the name of um, healing and reconciliation. As many people in Canada know uh, that um, I drum danced uh, for uh, uh, survivors of uh, residential school as well as Pope Francis when he came to celebrate uh, his uh, coming to Echaluit uh, uh, in Nunavut. And uh, we were all, as Inuit, we were always going to welcome him because uh, we wanted to uh, make sure that uh, we start the work on uh, peace, uh, peace and harmony. And um, after the drum dance, um, I presented to him Inuit drum because uh, drum dance, uh, Inuit drum is a celebration of life. Uh, so um, in the name of uh, healing and reconciliation, I presented uh, the uh, Inuit drum to His Holiness. Uh, but one of the things that uh, I'm disappointed about is the fact that uh, there has been no um, uh, contact, there has been no discussion um, from the Roma Catholic Church uh, to the survivors of residential school among the Inuit. And I have talked to a lot of Inuit survivors uh, in the Arctic, and uh, like me, they feel very good about um, um, Pope's uh, apology, uh, because uh, we all know that there was a cultural uh, genocide mm -hmm. on, uh, done by the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, so uh, we are still expecting um, a response from the uh, Roman Catholic Church about uh, moving forward the uh, healing and reconciliation with the Church. All right, Peter. So uh, you were happy with the apology, but you are disappointed that uh, there has been a lack of follow-up from the Vatican since that visit with Inuit people. Let's go ahead now and take our first call of the day. We've got Chanupa, who is listening up in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, on Keeley. Hello, Chanupa. What's on your mind today? Well, I thank you for this again, uh, Sean. You know, 
Pope Francis's apology can never ever be accepted for a majority of indigenous people because just like that brother spoke of, I was set on relocation down to Beaumont, Texas, and I I got abused because I would not submit to that golden rule. But an apology can only happen this way if it's a continuation every day, every second, every moment, every hour, every minute, just as the sun comes up in the east, goes down in the west. Every day has to be an apology, what the white race has done to the indigenous people. And for that brother, I'm going to say this to you in Lakota. Tell that white man, recognize his guilt. Then and only then can we sit at a table and have a fry bread and corn soup together. But until then, it's never going to happen. So thank you, brother. And thank you, Sean, for having me on. Ha-ho! You bet, Chanupa. Thank you for that call. And, Peter, what, what I gather from that co- uh, our caller now, Chanupa, he says, you know, talks, words are just words, right? Talk is cheap, but it has to be backed up with action. And it sounds like uh, there is some disappointment that that hasn't occurred. So, Peter, what would you like to see now? What would you like to see the Vatican do? Here it is more than a year later. What's the next step? How would you like to see that discussion or that contact initiated with your Inuit people? I think the Roman Catholic Church uh, has to uh, uh, make a move forward and uh, to begin talking, um, begin discussions uh, with uh, Inuit, indigenous people of Canada, uh, indigenous people around the world, and uh, start talking about uh, how we can move the uh, healing and reconciliation forward. Uh, because um, here in Canada, we've come a long ways in terms of moving uh, uh, forward uh, the um, uh, and thank you, uh, Wilton Little Child, and the other commissioners uh, for a lot of this work that you did. Uh, in a few days, we're going to have uh, Truth and Reconciliation Day holiday, and um, this is a. a, a uh, initiative of the, both the indigenous people and the Canadian government. So I think the Roman Catholic Church has to make a move to move forward and start talking to the Inuit, the indigenous people, and uh, let us know how they're going to um, start moving along with us and uh, start talking about healing and start talking about reconciliation with us. After all, they're the uh, ones responsible for the loss of culture, loss of language, loss of traditional religious beliefs and parenting skills. So uh, we're expecting uh, we're expecting a message, uh, a contact from the Roman Catholic for those uh, very important uh, issues to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. Now, Peter, it's interesting, you know, the, the Pope's apology had occurred last summer, but Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper, back in 2008, 15 years ago, he apologized to residential school survivors there in Canada. And how would you compare the two apologies, the apology by the Prime Minister of Canada on behalf of the Canadian government and, and the Pope's apology on behalf of the Catholic Church? Do Does one mean more to you than the other, or is it fair to compare them like that? Well, uh, I have to say to you that uh, I helped the Prime Minister of Canada, Stephen Harper, with his apology. So it was a good apology. 
And I also uh, can tell you that uh, we have three other uh, indigenous people who worked on his with, who worked on his apology in his office on June 3, 2008. And um, many of us, like uh, um, Chief uh, Littlechild and many other indigenous leaders of Canada, we were in the House of Commons uh, when uh, Prime Minister uh, Harper at that time apologized uh, to uh, indigenous people on behalf of all Canadians. Uh, so we have done quite a lot of work in moving um, uh, better uh, reconciliation by educational institutions in Canada, universities, uh, various uh, people who are working to uh, establish a better uh, relationship with the indigenous people of Canada. To me, that's very positive, and it's something that is moving forward. So um, I expect the Roma Catholic to do the same. I expect the Roma Catholic to move forward and start talking to uh, indigenous people, indigenous leaders of Canada uh, right now. Okay. Peter, what about, you know, we're talking about the, the, the Vatican, we're talking about the Pope, and obviously most Catholic people, they're never going to meet the Pope. They're not going to have a visit uh, to their community by the Pope. But what about all of the different churches there in Native communities, there in Canada, in the States? The Catholic Church still has a huge presence in many Indigenous communities in North America. And, and what would like you like to see happen at that level, with those local churches, those local parishioners? What would you like to see those folks do? Because that's, for most Native people, that's the interaction. It's with those local churches in that community as opposed to the Vatican and the Pope. I think it's not only I think it's not only the Roman Catholic Church uh, that has to make a move to um, a move to uh, make an apology. I mean, they've made an apology and. Um, I think the other thing that has to happen is to deal with the uh, federal day school, federal day schools that were in operation for Inuit and the other indigenous people that dating back way back when. So uh, the new king of uh, United Kingdom should also make a move to make an apology on behalf of the uh, uh, monarchy and uh, to start talking about the apology and start working with the uh, indigenous people. And uh, that would be something that would be a very move forward. Well, Peter, thank you again for sharing your insights. Uh, 76 years old, raised in an igloo until the age of 11. Peter Ernick, uh, he's up in uh, Ottawa, Ontario. And folks, this is, a, this is a tough topic today. Anytime we do issues with uh, residential schools and boarding schools, uh, you know, a lot of folks that went to these schools, uh, we, we've heard the stories, we're hearing testimonies today. So please uh, think of your self-care. And if you need to talk to somebody, talk to somebody about some of these issues. We do have resources available. The National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition for folks here in the States, that phone number 612 Again, 612-354-7700. And for our listeners in Canada, there is a 24-hour residential school crisis line, and that can be reached at 1-866-925-4419. And uh, with that, let's go ahead and bring in our next guest, Andrew Carrier. He is Métis, and he is with the Red River Government Minister for Residential and Day Schools. Andrew, thank you again for appearing on the show today. And tell us, uh, what did the Pope's apology mean to you? Well, thank you very much, Sean. I just want to say a little bit about the Métis. Uh, we're one of the more recent tribes of Canada. We're a community 
located in northwest Ontario all the way to Alberta. But we cover the, the states of Minnesota, North Dakota, Montana. And, um, and uh, we have um, Michif Métis families on both sides of the border because the border is uh, an artificial border. So to answer your question, are they, um, first of all, you got to understand that the Reverend Métis, we had a chance to meet uh, Pope Francis right in uh, Rome in April of uh, 2021, followed by the, we went to Hermes King uh, and met him in, uh, in Alberta for 2022. Uh, this you got to understand that the Pope Francis apology is the uh, truly the very first apology uh, that recognized the harm of the church uh, for centuries uh, since the you know the 150 to 200 years of residential school uh, everything was hidden and and denied as mentioned by uh, others um, the. The abuses that we suffered at the hands of the clergy and employees of the residential schools was not only known by, by the churches, it was also known by government, uh, by the police, and uh, the medical people. So it wasn't a big secret, but everybody kept a hush about it, only because it was us and the indigenous people of Canada that uh, they had uh, seemed to devalue us as children and of our culture and so on. So the, the Pope's apology to me as a Catholic, Roman Catholic, um, I separate the harm of the, of the man versus the church, and the healing process for me has been a very long road, only because at the age of seven I was sexually abused by a priest while attending a day school uh, here in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and um, and had nowhere to go, had nowhere to turn. and. Uh, uh, and was told to uh, by my parents not to say anything uh, because of the form of racism and control that we suffer here in in um, in Canada in Manitoba. So for me, the uh, you know the apology uh, to me it was a blessing in the sense that uh, we were finally being heard, as mentioned by um, Peter. That we, uh, we it was recognized by the uh, by the highest by the Pope that uh, that this was a genocide against our people. But it wasn't just the church. As I said, it, you know, everybody has to take responsibility for their action or inaction. There was also in history a number of people that did come forward, and they suffered the, the wrath of coming forward um, and trying to protect the children as well. So uh, our story is a complicated one, and it, it, it's been repeated um, not only here in Canada and the United States, but around the world where the church have come and uh, tried to Christianize us. We, as a Métis, as well as my uh, First Nations relatives, are very spiritual individuals and believe in God and believe in the Creator. So, of course, we would, uh, we, um, it, was known, it wasn't new that the, the message of God that came to us. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the healing, the healing path is a long path. And um, and to me, I had to let go of the excess weight of the uh, of the of the harm that was done to me and to my community. And um, I just want to say that how we since the apology, um, our government, our Red River Métis government, have uh, have uh, strengthened our, our 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 liaison with the church and have supported. Various churches and and 
and uh, in different uh, meaningful way. And, our, and of course, by supporting the church, we are supporting our citizens, our Red River Métis citizens, in the healing process. Andrew, really appreciate you uh, sharing your background with us, and um, it, it's really interesting to hear you talk because um, it, it's a complex history. You are a practicing Catholic. It sounds like you're a proud, devout Catholic, but yet, you know, there are these issues with the Church, and, and so often when I talk to folks, uh, especially younger Native folks today who may not have been raised uh, in, in a Catholic community, they're just so critical of the Church, and they're really critical sometimes of Native people who are Catholics, and they'll be like, you know, how can a person be that? How can they believe in that religion? It's the white man's religion, and it, it persecuted us, and it, it was responsible for all these atrocities, and, and they really struggle with how a contemporary Native person can be a, a practicing Catholic, and you're a person who walks that balance every single day. We're going to have to take a short break here, Andrew, but when we come back, I want to ask you a little bit more about that, how you balance uh, your faith and your spirituality with the knowledge that you have uh, with regard to the history of the Church, because I think for so many of our listeners, it would just be so helpful to hear your perspective and to elaborate on that a little bit more. And in the meantime, I encourage more listeners to call in boarding school survivors, former boarding school students, anybody with an opinion or a thought or an experience that they would like to share, give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We'll be back after this break. Support for journalism that raises the awareness of child well-being to citizens and to policymakers provided by the Annie E. Casey Foundation, building a brighter future for children, families, and communities. Information at aecf.org. Does your club, institution, or other group need custom-branded apparel? A wide variety of T-shirts, hoodies, and much more, all custom-printed or embroidered, are available from nativescreenprinting.com, a division of Skyscreen Printing who support this program. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Please join this discussion about the Pope's apology in Canada from a year ago. Tell us what more needs to be done to nurture healing and progress by calling 1-800-996-2848. Right now, we're getting the Métis perspective on the Pope's apology there in Canada. We have Andrew Carrier on the line. He's with the Red River Government Minister for Residential and Day Schools. And Andrew, before break, I asked you, you know, about the balance that you have with your Catholic faith and, and yet the experiences that you've had there with the Church, uh, some negative experiences. How do you balance it? Do you, have you ever had doubts about your Catholic faith and, and whether or not you should continue it? Um, absolutely, Sean. The you understand that um, when you are a survivor of such trauma, uh, life throws you uh, curveballs and realities of not knowing how to resolve the problems ahead of you. So I have uh, contemplated suicide. I have uh, uh, contemplated uh, 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 disappearing from here. Uh, and these are all things that Without my faith uh, and believing of of, uh, of God, that was a, I was able to uh, get out of the dark clouds. And so, when you ask about a balance, you gotta understand that as a father and as a grandfather, I have a lot of response and a community uh, elected community official. I truly devote myself uh, to my community, 
as many of my other uh, First Nations uh, relatives, we are very community-minded. Now, to forgive, and not forget, but to forgive mm-hmm. is, the long, is, is, is the beginning of a healing process. Otherwise, I will, relate, I will refer to other uh, ways of uh, dealing uh, with this trauma, uh, as I have in the past, such as alcoholism and, and, and uh, anger, anger against uh, myself and against my family and against uh, the society. But we can only be angry for so long until we need to reach out and, and look at how to pro- solve the problems. And again, I want to be a better, uh, better grandfather, a better father, um, community member. And so you have to acknowledge that we are resilient, we are survivors of these abuses. As mentioned by a few, some of us have retained our language and our culture, while others need to, uh, the road to recovery is a long road. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that the first step, the very first step, is of, of, uh, as per Action 58. And, you know, I'm not sure if the listeners knows, but the Truth and Reconciliation, as, as leaded by uh, Chief uh, uh, Little Child, the we had asked for this for many years for the Pope to apologize and recognize the harm they have done, and the first step has has come forward. Now it's up to us as uh, and and the Canadian bishops and the Canadian and the Catholic Church, uh, as well as other churches, to say, okay, the apology has been met, and how do we go forward? And it's not for them to decide; it's for us to decide as right. we come forward. If we're going to wait for them for an answer, and we're not waiting here in Manitoba, we're, we're not waiting for the Canadian bishop to say about our faith. We are taking control of our faith and, 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 our, and our family unity. And to us, that is so important, how we, how we, uh, how we work in the community. I'll give you an example. The, the cost of food these days are extremely high. So we, how are we helping our, our citizens? And we're doing so much work to um, better off our community, whether it be healthcare or education and, uh, and that. I want to say, you know, if I may, you asked uh, Peter Ennert uh, about Stephen Harper. Yes, Prime you Minister know, of Canada. The Former. Prime Minister of Canada apologized to all Indigenous people. By the same token, had, had taken millions of dollars, had canceled millions of programs to help the health program of our Indigenous people. How can you get an apology and then, at the same token, take away mm. the um, the resources that we needed to to survive? And this government has done a better job. I mean, there, there's no government that's perfect, but we are doing our best uh, to take charge of ourselves and move forward. And quit waiting for government to start the healing process. Quit waiting for for the church. The church has offered us the the, the leaf of 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 hope. And now we have what we do with it is our responsibility. Andrew, thank you for for all the, your thoughts, uh, sharing your experiences as well. Uh, really, really valuable insights. And uh, folks, our phone lines are open with a question or comment. Give us a call one eight hundred nine nine six two eight four eight. Tell us what your thoughts are on the papal apology with regard to Canadian residential schools. And I'd now like to bring Dr. Tiffany Preet into our conversation. She's the assistant professor of sociology at the University of Lethbridge. Hello, Tiffany. Thank you again for joining us, and appreciate your patience. Good morning. Good morning. Now, Tiffany, um, 
I'd like to, to talk a little bit about the history of the residential schools in Canada because you have done research on, on the residential schools. And contemplating your knowledge, what does the papal apology mean to you from that perspective? It is something that is is very important, I think, to, to many people, um, Indigenous peoples and, and non-Indigenous peoples as well. Um, and if, if people aren't uh, very familiar with uh, the papal apologies, um, they were a few different uh, papal bulls that the Pope historically had put in place that justified the doctrine of discovery in Terranolius uh, that made, unfortunately, made it possible what happened here in Canada and the United States uh, to Indigenous peoples um, that allowed the, the Indian Act and the uh, different schools like the residential school system to occur. And so I know that there was uh, a lot of people, Indigenous and non-Indigenous people, who were hoping that in the Pope's apology in July that this would be something that he would talk about and that he would uh, revoke those particular papal bulls uh, that talked about the doctrine of discovery in Terranolius. And so it is still something that I, I think people are hoping well, it is still to come. Uh, it, it just has not yet happened. Okay. Now, I did read a report, though, that the, the Vatican did formally denounce those 15th century papal bulls that were used as the basis of, doc, of the doctrine of discovery. I did read that they did formally ad- denounce those earlier this year. Is that true? I read an article. I have not heard that. So I, I, would, I would love to see that. Yeah, absolutely. There's an article in the National Post. In the National Post, it was written in July, and uh, and it does make that comment. So uh, again, I'm not up in Canada, so I don't have as much information as you folks uh, do up there, but it's certainly something to consider. So um, Tiffany, please stay on the line with us, and uh, I want to go back to, to Chief Littlechild here quickly and uh, Chief Little Child, you know, listening to these different perspectives of our guest today, we have uh, Pita, who is Inuit and uh, Inuk, and we have uh, Andrew, who's Métis, and, and Tiffany, who is Blackfeet, and um, just the repercussions and, and the impact is just so far-reaching and so far wide. And and what is it that you that you need our listeners to really understand about the enormity and breadth? of these issues we're talking about today with the Pope and, and the residential school apologies? Well, let me, uh, if I may, first address the last question or last comment. Um, the, His Holiness Pope Francis did repudiate both uh, Doctrine of Discovery and Terra Nullius, and not only that, he went one step further than we did when we said it was cultural genocide as he was boarding the plane to leave to go back to Rome, he said to him in his observations, it was genocide. Mm-hmm. So he made those three very distinct and important uh, announcements while he was here. Uh, but to go back to your question, I think that um, it's not only us who were impacted, us meaning first line, the survivors, but secondly, the intergenerational trauma from students who were also impacted, but also 
at large Canadians because this history was kept hidden from them. Many times I heard people say, well, I didn't know this happened, or they'll deny it and say, well, this didn't happen in Canada. So um, we still have a lot of work to do in a sense uh, in terms of uh, coming back to the second part of the court-ordered mandate. And, and if you remember, this is the first court-ordered Truth and Reconciliation Commission ever established. It's usually done through a political uh, decision, but this was by courts because of lawsuits by some 13,000 former students who had been abused uh, in, in some way uh, by individuals. So um, the non-Indigenous peoples were cheated out of this history, so they don't know um, fully what happened. So that's why one of the importance, uh, importances of the court mandate was first to tell the truth of what happened, but then secondly, equally important, was to turn or try and figure out a path to reconciliation. Mm-hmm. How do we restore respectful relationships after we become aware of this history? How do we um, become assertive in having good relations? And I think that's where we're at now. And as far as impact on Canada and what's going on in terms of efforts by Indigenous peoples to heal, uh, I'm a little bit, I guess, anxious in a way to see us double our efforts in terms of promoting um, the restoration of respectful relationships or having good relationships, first between uh, with ourselves and with our families and with our communities and then with our neighbors. And that's where the true uh, reconciliation will happen. And there's, it's still a long ways to go. And then to go back to an earlier point as well, I found in the hearings that some are still um, of the view that the Pope should not have come here. They're very angry. Uh, they will not accept the apology, uh, but we encourage them to at least think about it, and, and if they can't move from that, then to please not take it away out of their out on their children or their family. All right, because it wasn't it wasn't their doing. Thank you, Chief Little Child, and, and Tiffany. Back to you, and here we are, more than a year later. What's your thought uh, on the Pope's apology? Where are you at right now? I am a, an intergenerational survivor of the Stolen Children era, and so the Stolen Children era includes all of the different school models that the Canadian government used to try and assimilate Indigenous children, which includes the Indian residential school system. And so as a, a child, I realized that there was something going on around me, but you know, I wasn't able to articulate what it was that I was seeing and experiencing as somebody who had been colonized. I didn't understand all of that as a child. And as I grew up, I came to understand um, or to, to know what it is that had happened to my, my family members as they went to residential schools and boarding schools and day schools. 
And today, one of the number one questions that, that I get asked from my fellow tribe members who are also intergenerational survivors is what exactly happened. And um, and it's uh, for myself, I, I know that the Pope uh, issued two apologies. So there is one in April and then the one that was in July. And I had been anticipating an apology that would be full of accountability and institutional responsibility. Um, in the calls to action um, 58, you know, it had asked that the Roman Catholic Church acknowledge the spiritual, cultural, emotional, physical, and sexual abuse that happened in these schools. And in both the apologies that the Pope had issued um, in April and July, uh, there was no mention of sexual abuse, unfortunately. Uh, and the statement uh, that that came from the one in July um, really uh, placed blame on, on colonization, and it was an apology for all Christians. And what many people were hoping to hear was an apology specifically for the role of Catholic-run schools uh, and how this has negatively impacted generations of Indigenous peoples. Uh, and I was really hoping to be able to to hear a formal plan on how the Catholic Church would attempt to walk the path of reconciliation with Indigenous peoples in Canada. And so I, I felt like the apology lacked um, part of that truth and justice that's needed in order to walk the path of reconciliation. Um, and so it didn't seem like there was really any kind of real commitment to Indigenous peoples uh, or how the Catholic Church planned exactly to, to walk the path of reconciliation and, and help us get to that place where we are thriving. Mm. Tiffany, I think most people are familiar with the nature of the abuses, and there's so much has been learned over these past few years, but obviously there's still a lot more information that needs to be uncovered. And um, what are you doing looking forward in terms of your research and your efforts to just get the whole picture, get the whole story documented for generations to come? And the, the work that I'm doing, you know, when I initially started in, in this research, I, I wanted to better understand what had happened to, to my people. Uh, and I'm a, a member of the Blood Tribe, and so I initially was just looking at the residential school system. And as I, I uh, traveled across Canada and partnered with different museums and archives to read primary and secondary documents that were written by the, the government, uh, their officials, and the different religions who ran uh, residential schools on the Blood Reserve. And what I found is that there was so much more that happened in addition to residential schools. Mm -hmm. um, that there were several different school models that the Canadian government created to try and assimilate Indigenous children. And so I, I've taken those documents back into community, and I've been working with elders in my community to talk about the, the policies, the different school models, and stories of their own experience and the stories that have been handed down to them from, from their family members, their okay. grandparents and great-grandparents. Wonderful, wonderful. Tiffany, appreciate you joining us as well as all of our other guests to talk about uh, Pope Francis's apology to residential school survivors in Canada. Please join us on NAC again tomorrow. We'll have The Menu with uh, Andy Murphy, our Indigenous Food News hostess. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll talk again soon.
Repatriation is the return of ancestors and stolen culture. The Association on American Indian Affairs and the Citizen Potawatomi Nation host the ninth annual Repatriation Conference on November 7th, 8th, and 9th. The conference provides in-person and virtual expert training about domestic and international repatriation. Learn how to register at indian-affairs.org. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show. Support provided by Amerind. Amerind is 100% tribally owned and partners with tribes and their businesses to provide affordable commercial insurance coverage, protect tribal sovereignty, and strengthen Native American communities by helping to keep dollars in Indian country. Information about property, liability, commercial auto, and workers' comp available at amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.